third president of the United States is Thomas Jefferson, and he joins us again on WGM. Happy President's Day, Mr. Jefferson. Good day to you, my dear citizen. You don't sound very cheerful about it. Happy President's Day, Mr. President. Well, I didn't really measure my life uh, by the presidency. I was the third president for two terms, but I was really more committed to my work on the Declaration of Independence in 1776 or the Virginia Statute for Religious Liberty in 1786 or, for that matter, the university that I created in my retirement at Charlottesville in Virginia. So the presidency was, for me, sort of equivalent to what jury duty would be for you. (laughs) Well, most people try to get out of jury duty, sir. Well, I did not particularly wish to be the president of the United States, sir. I I would have been more happy at Monticello, minding my own business, gardening, and maybe conducting some scientific um, experiments. But I felt very strongly that the country was being taken down in the wrong direction by my two predecessors, George Washington, a great man, of course, and John Adams. And so I reluctantly stood for the presidency in 1800, and, and to my considerable surprise, I won. That's interesting. I, I want to ask you a little bit about that in a second, but just on a tangent here, you talked about you would rather be home at Monticello. <clears throat> I was reading a book the other day about rain, R-A-I-N, rain, the history of rain, the phenomenon of rain, how it occurs, when it occurs, where it occurs, etc. And they spent a lot of time talking about you because they said you spent most of your life keeping weather journals and diaries, right? Yes. I mean, in fact, I'm in some sense the father of American meteorology. I, I, I kept weather data twice a day all of my life, and I encouraged all of my friends to do so, too, in the hopes that we could compare some of this data. And I, I know this is going to sound radical, but maybe someday we can predict weather. <laughs> well, what you should have been able to predict, here's what the author said, was that if you build a, a home on the top of a hill without modern plumbing— you will not be able to get water up there, and that it was a real difficult enterprise to grow crops or uh, feed yourself or the, the slaves that worked on your plantation without water. What were you thinking putting it way up there on Monticello? Well, I had um, this idea that a, a, a home should be built on an eminence. I had uh, owned this small mountain, which I called in the Italian way Monticello. And I thought it would be splendid to be able to be above the clouds and to look out on the American West from my porch. But I didn't really figure the problem of water. So the, the crops were fine. The problem was uh, drinking water, household water. And so we had cisterns and wells and so on. But whenever it didn't rain for more than a couple of weeks, the wells ran dry. And then uh, my slaves, unfortunately, had to go all the way down the mountain to the creeks to bring back water for the household. So this this was not the most intelligent plan of my life. I've been finding fault with some of the things the Founding Fathers came up with anyway lately. It seems to me like the further we get from 1776 or 1800, the less useful our Constitution seems to be. What would you say to those of us who are frustrated by laws that are interpreted based on a document that was written 250 years ago. Well, in this case, we agree 100 percent. You know, I wrote a letter to James Madison in 1789 from France. I was the American ambassador there. 
And I said that we should tear up the Constitution of the United States once every generation, about once every 19 years. Otherwise, it's like wearing the coat that fitted you as a child. Um, it's a straitjacket to try to live under the barbarous regimen of our ancestors. And I said 40 years of experience in government is worth a century of book reading. So the fact that you and your time still love live under the Constitution that was written in the three-mile-per-hour world by men in buckled shoes and wigs uh, is a terrible flaw in your thinking, I believe. What would you make of the Constitution of the Congress these days, the Constitution, the makeup of that body? Uh, we have some people that are brilliant and great public servants. We have some people that are there because they're just popular and say outrageous things. Um, is that okay? This has always been the case if you read Roman history, if you read the history of Britain. Um, and I said it myself, um, trying to differentiate between the House and the Senate. I said the first expression of the will of the people is very seldom a distinguished one. That's the House. But the second distillation, the Senate, is often um, better people, wiser, more thoughtful, more sober, more circumspect. So we, we designed the system to, to take the will of the people in several different distillations. And if you want the House to be close to the people, you have to be willing to let it be a little crazy from time to time. I, I tend to agree with that. I think one or even ten crazy votes should not sink the, the Congress. Um, if it's the will of the people, so be it. But the, there would be other moderate forces that, you know, would stem the tide. One of our congressmen, though, in Illinois said that about the Senate, he said we should have 12 at-large senators to balance it out and to take some of the senatorial power away from the least populous states, that Wyoming has two senators representing 450,000 people, and California has two senators representing 32 million people, or whatever the numbers are, is, is bad math. What do you make of that? That's a real problem, sir. I was in Paris when the Constitution was written, so I played no role in it. But as you probably know, there was a famous compromise. It's called the Great Compromise, in which the House would be proportional to the population of individual states. And uh, the Senate would have two senators, no matter what geographic size or population. And unfortunately, this was insisted upon by the, the puny little states like Rhode Island and Delaware with such force that it's actually deeply written into the Constitution. The Constitution says that the only way you could change that senatorial formula of two for every state, irrespective of population, would be to amend the Constitution. You cannot do this by routine legislation. They were that successful in locking in this system, which violates the principle, of course, of one man, one vote. And in my time, the population differential between Delaware and Virginia was great, but it wasn't obscene in the way it is in your time. No, you need to tear up the Constitution. And in the new one, you need to provide something closer to proportional representation in the upper body. I'm out of time. Is there anything else you'd like to say to Chicagoland, Mr. Jefferson, um, on this President's Day? Yes, the Great Lakes are going to be a mighty engine of commerce in the future of the United States. I would urge you not to worship your presidents or even give them a lot of attention. The, the real business of life is in the house, on the farm, in the community, 
and perhaps in the Congress of the United States, but the president should be little more than an administrative figurehead. Boy, times have changed, eh? I want you to come back and run for... I don't know if you'd win these days, though, sir. That's the problem. Well, I might not win, but I certainly could offer, I think, an articulate uh, alternative to the way you do things in your time. You know, I know we're out of time, but the fact is you're no longer a republic. You're an empire, maybe an oligarchy. Um, but you cannot be a republic unless the people are more in control of their own destiny. And as you know, I said that government is best, which governs least. Thomas Jefferson was the third president of the United States, personal friend of mine. And he'll be back in Chicago in November when we do another stage presentation. And I'm very much looking forward to it, TJ. Uh, uh, Mr. Jefferson, uh, thank you for visiting with us. And keep reading about Monticello. It's not as bad as the <laughs> Okay, fair enough.